0: Welcome to another episode of the Millennial Entrepreneur. My name's Cena and from starting my own business while at university and getting funding from O2, I love following the journeys of other young entrepreneurs. And today's episode I spoke to Roman and Constantina from KDIM. If you're a big gamer like me, you'll love this episode. And if you're not a gamer, that's cool as well because it's a great episode with two incredibly intelligent university students that are experimenting with artificial intelligence to revolutionize the gaming uh, development industry. So you might as well listen as well, it's pretty decent. We talked about why game production has become increasingly so expensive and how their AI solution is already being utilized by one of the largest gaming development firms and their journey building up to recently winning a £10,000 grant from their university. We also talk about how the future of virtual reality gaming and how their technology could be the catalyst to induce VR gaming. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, it's a real pleasure making these episodes. So I really hope you enjoy And if you do, it'd be great to leave a written review on our Apple Podcasts, share it with your friends, and yeah, just enjoy it. Let's go on with the episode. Roman, Constantina, how are you? Good, thanks, Sina. Yeah, how are you?
1: Yeah, yeah, we're good. Thanks for having us.
0: No, it's my pleasure. It's, it's definitely a unique experience for me because I've never had two guests on the podcast. So, yeah, it's good to have you both. I hope it works well. So, like, yeah, how are you guys keeping busy to, uh, to, uh, like with this whole like lockdown period?
2: So, one of the main things that we're kind of doing at the moment, we well, we tend to use... Um, facebook messenger video calls voice calls and that sort of thing basically to stay in contact with each other it will be generally we're messaging each other throughout the day kind of going what do we need to do oh right we need to have this thing done and then if we have stuff to do we'll kind of ring each other we've got a sprint plan which we have to do at the start of every week to kind of keep track of everything that we're doing Um, and then mostly it's it's like did we have a meeting this morning oh yes we do have a meeting this morning okay cool right uh, i should get out of bed and, and go and do stuff now Then
1: I <laughs> yeah. think. no yeah i think we're busy we're very busy and this whole thing like our business has kept us very busy and at the same time sane because we have to talk to each other it's like so much and we have many so many things to do that we're actually very productive through the whole
0: thing yeah i mean i'm kind of this i'm I'm in the same sort of boat i'm working on you know obviously I, i launched this podcast in the um in the lockdown period and then you know i've got my own business to concentrate on and stuff like that but when i'm not working uh i play a lot of games which is something that's kind of new for me i mean i did before when i was younger but recently it's definitely increased and I'm interested because you guys are actually in that space your startup concentrates on that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I
2: think your experience is is entirely typical from what we've seen and what we've heard. I mean, one one statistic is something like Xbox Live players are were up 75% uh after the start of the lockdown period. So, everyone is now sad at home and they're like, "Hmm, I don't know what to do." So, ah, I'll switch on the TV and the Xbox yeah. or the PlayStation or Whatever, and then boot up games. Um, I think Steam keeps repeatedly having like busiest weekends ever. So
1: yeah, you yeah. know,
2: people just playing more <laughs> and more video games. Yeah.
1: Crazy how much, uh, how many people worldwide just um, have turned to video games and like connecting through digital worlds to, uh, you know, keep keep each other company and do something that makes them feel. Yeah.
0: So are you two are you two big gamers yourselves? Um
2: I think I would consider myself uh probably less so now but I used to be very 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 heavily into video games. I mean, I I grew up in a I grew up in a tiny village um of which, uh, like a, a few hundred people. Um most of which were significantly older than me. Uh nearest town being like a a 2 hour bike ride away up these mountainous hills, uh, which is surprising for Lincolnshire. It's the only part of Lincolnshire with hills, which was excellent growing up. But I became very, very acquainted <laughs> with my computer and and video games because that was kind of my escape mechanism and my way of communicating with other people because I couldn't go visit them uh, in person. So it's kind of less so now because I've just got so much stuff going on. But I do go back and revisit. Yeah. I think I recently played um, Metro Exodus, which is really good that just came to steam having been on epic game store for about a year um but yeah i less so but still significantly into it and i kind of follow kind of gaming news that's part of the reason why i'm so interested in this space because ultimately i see that a lot of the video games that are being produced now they're kind of derivatives of other stuff that's come before it's like ah it's this year's ubisoft uh Uh, like Assassin's Creed game, which is great, but there's not the same degree of perhaps experimentation and risk-taking simply because the costs of these things are just growing and growing and growing. So part of the reason why uh, we wanted to found Kadim or I wanted to found Kadim uh, was because I think if we can reduce the costs and therefore the risks of making games, we can get a lot more exciting games
0: um, that I'll want to play. That's what I was going to ask you guys. I was going to ask, is... I mean, are you guys big gamers? Is that where the whole idea behind KDM came from?
1: Well, I think it, it was um, twofold. The reason was twofold for me. For example, I got into gaming later in my life. So when I went to uni, because uh, many of my uni friends were into gaming. So I started like that. But I'm, I don't consider myself a big gamer. Uh, for me, it was more watching a, a frustration that existing in the industry, uh, so like um, through our computer science units that we had to ourselves create a 3D world and fill it out with like different objects and stuff like that. I I realized how repetitive and um, you know time consuming this process is, and I and then when you scale it and imagine what like the production of all these like huge games with. Uh, With like tens of hours of, um, you know, um, gaming and playing, then it's just like to me it was scary.
0: So where does where does Kdim come in? How does Kdim fix these these problems?
2: Yeah. So the main the main point of Kdim basically was what we found from our own experience and from talking to people in the industry was that these Processes for making assets, you think about a video game, you think of all the things in that video game, all of those are assets which need to be made by someone. Um, And we found that the process for making those assets is just incredibly time consuming and therefore really expensive because designers just have to sit there at a computer for hours and hours and hours to make everything. That's in these games and if you think about big open world games for example like you think of all of the different numbers of things that are in those games it's just mind-blowing and that's yeah. basically just driving the costs of video games up and up and up and again coming back to if the costs go up then the risk of any individual game goes up and therefore you get less uh, risk-taking less exciting games potentially so where kadem comes in is basically a tool to Help speed up that process by offloading some of the repetitive work that dis- the designers currently have to do to AI um, because we're both, uh, we have experience with AI and we also have experience with uh, 3D modeling and that sort of thing. So, where in the industry there might not be that kind of skill set coming together because we have experience in both areas, we saw that this is a potential area to alleviate some of these difficulties, where if we offload a lot of the repetitive stuff to AI, then we can speed up the process of making these assets to enable designers to spend more time polishing, which increases a yeah. the quality of the games coming out, which reduces the risk. It reduces the costs because it reduces the time um, because designers no longer mm-hmm. have to spend let's say 10 hours making an in, an individual asset they now only have to spend one hour making an asset because the assets are produced from our system almost done yeah um, and in so doing we help to alleviate a lot of the kind of frustration around the creation in in the industry and and it hopefully enable more people to be able to realize their creative vision because we think that there are a lot of creative visions which could be made, which currently can't be made because of the limitations of the technology.
1: And to add on that, um, we like Kyrim, um wants to offer a competitive advantage to the gaming companies that will use our software uh, because they will be able to create more uh, like exceptional and genre, genre defining work because their their 3d designers will have more time to polish and actually be creative than giving so much time away um to starting from scratch every time you know what i mean
0: yeah so give me give me like an idea about how how this like how long it would take for for say like a designer to design one of these assets that you set so say for like a game like like gta you know huge detail in these games now i've you know i've been playing gta for you know pretty much my (laughs) pretty much my whole life like quite a young age actually which isn't which is bad but um i've seen (laughs) the level of detail shoot up massively you know and you're saying that so for like in the background so you know if there's like a a chair or a lamppost or something um how long could something like that take to to design? Yeah,
1: well, for Currently. for simple objects like chairs and tables and stuff like that, uh, a, an expert uh, artist might might need like um, I don't know an hour or maybe wow anything between half an hour to an hour. But for like big things like spaceships and like things that you know attract attract attention, it might take like up to two weeks. So there is a, like a big range of of how long objects might take to develop because uh, like simple objects for these artists are quite like easy to do, but then there are other objects that need weeks of work.
0: Yeah, and that obviously pushes the cost up, as you said, Roman. Absolutely, yeah.
2: It's it's uh, because of the the time spent. Like even if you have expert designers, even if they can produce a chair in thirty minutes, it's like you get what a chair is that 30 minutes is just spent, if they could spend that on other things, it would be a lot more valuable. So and, and you know, there's thousands and thousands of chair models out there. So if you can create something which can just create them in a, a blink of an eye, then that becomes really, really useful because even if it's down from, even if it only takes them 30 minutes, if it now takes them like five seconds, that's a massive, massive improvement. Um, touching on GTA, yeah. so we calculated an estimate that the assets produced for GTA 5 would cost probably cost somewhere around forty million dollars for that whole production, and then scaling it by wow. industry trends. So, if, if GTA games followed industry trends, uh, I think we calculated that if GTA Six was to release next year, the asset production costs for that game would be somewhere in the region of like I think it was two hundred and seventy million dollars, yeah. which is insane. Yeah, that's
0: god. Wow. <laughs> yeah.
1: I Amazing. guess that's why
0: they're not creating as many games as before. Because I've seen, you know, they are they, the release of games used to be a lot more frequent. Correct me if I'm wrong, but from a consumer standpoint, that's what it was. You know, there was there was a new game almost any every year for a lot of these franchises. But now it's a lot more limited.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I think back to the kind of the PS2 era, it seemed almost like the
0: co- <laughs> Great era. yeah
2: the, the costs of of video game production at that time were at a really sweet spot between kind of expectations around what the technology could produce and also therefore the cost where it was just getting enough in terms of like graphics quality that you started to get a really nice idea of the of the geometry and the shapes and it started to look real but at the same time it wasn't quite the level of photorealism that consumers kind of expect nowadays so you had a lot more games being produced and a lot more kind of adventurous games being produced because the, the costs of development were just uh, not as high as they are now. And it's difficult because everyone will, always wants to be kind of pushing, pushing the envelope further. It's, we have the biggest game and we have the best quality graphics yeah. and ours is the most photoreal. And it's great that that's the case, but that also leans to an arms race of, well, if this game is photoreal, then we need our game to be not only photoreal, but also 20% bigger. Um, and that leads to the consumers expecting, ah, well, you know, if all of these games are photoreal and they're all massive and hundreds of hours of gameplay, yeah, then any game that's less than that is like, oh, well, that's not so impressive. I might not buy that. I'll wait for yeah, these other no, big I games. You. So you kind of see a stratification of the industry where you have, the massive budget AAA games, which are highly produced, photoreal, hundreds of hours of gameplay potentially. But then in that same section, because the costs are so high, they also go, ah, well, now in order to recoup our losses, we need to introduce microtransactions and loot boxes and all of these sorts of uh monetization strategies which in some ways could be argued to dilute the kind of the brand image of of these games because you start to annoy consumers what are
0: what are those just just to explain yeah so
2: microtransactions
0: microtransactions
2: might be you buy a full game at 60 dollars, and then there are extra things which aren't included in that game which might be um, a character texture pack or let's imagine character clothes or something. You have some amount of character clothes in the game, but then there's these extra character clothes, which, you know, they're microtransactions because maybe this set of character clothes is only $2. But there'll be people who pay for the full game and then they want everything. So they pay for the full game at $60. They pay for all of the uh, new clothes um, at $2 each. And that adds up very, very quickly. But it's... The, mm, the the companies yeah. are kind of stuck in a bind where they can't really raise the cost of an individual game, so they have to f- experiment with all these other uh, monetization strategies. Which sure, they get them back loads of money, but they also um, they also potentially lead to c- customers who don't want to pay that and don't like those in, those things in their games. Um, yeah, kind of reducing the brand equity uh, for those consumers, and they're like, oh well, I don't want to play these games anymore because it's. I feel like I'm being exploited, so I'm not going to support that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I guess you could say that with like the the new FIFA games. There's been a massive drop in the amount of users because of the very reason that you said. Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's it's kind of if you look at the long term sustainability of this sort of thing, it's it's almost it's eating away their long term brand sustainability because in the short term these these game bets are so risky. And again, it kind of goes back to this whole idea of the games companies can't take as many risks anymore. So everything is like a sequel of things that have gone before. And it's very, very rare that you get new IP. And new IP is often the most interesting stuff. Uh, So it's a bit of a shame, really.
0: Basically, we're saying that, you know, consumer demand, consumer expectations are rising way faster than the technology can keep up. Yeah. I think that's what we're saying, right? So kind of how does Kalem come in to to relieve all of that?
1: Yeah, so so we come in and we say that we can increase the productivity of every designer in the gaming companies by 10x. So, yeah, so like, uh, if someone uh, needed a a week, then now he needs a couple of hours to make this big thing. And... At the same time, he can iterate very quickly and, like, sell something to their supervisor and they say tweak it like that and they, they can very quickly tweak it without scratching the whole thing and starting from the beginning. So it, like, it accelerates the whole pipeline of 3D asset creation. At the same time, um, they can, it it. It, it has an advantage of um, the companies being able to use their archives, their existing archives of, like, all the 3D assets they've produced in the past because um, we can train our models and create the new novel 3D assets based on the, um, on the company's um, style. So then it yeah. also, you know, makes everything even more quicker. And, yeah.
0: Okay, so at the moment, they, they have to make each one from scratch, whereas your technology would come in and kind of, with the artificial intelligence, right, would create new ones for them in a fraction of the time that it takes them currently.
2: Yeah,
1: Yeah, much. so with an input of an image, then we, we output 10 predicted 3D models that look like the image uh, that the person, that the designer sketched.
2: Wow,
0: okay. How does that work?
2: Yeah, so um, basically, the aim of it is kind of um, you put in an image, and then it kind of it matches. The AI is able to identify the image, and kind of in the same way that that humans can look at an object and and understand that even though there's parts of it that might be occluded, so you can't see them, um, and maybe uh, you can't. There's bits of it which are slightly oddly shaped. It is trained such that it can understand from that image, okay, so I'm looking at this model and therefore I can recreate it in 3D. So we have a whole bunch of systems which can kind of analyze and then generate these 3D assets um, based on these images. So uh, there's kind of a lot of, there's a lot of exploration at the moment with existing tools. There's this one called Houdini, uh, which is kind of a um, a personal, uh, uh, an individual basically kind of procedural modeling toolkit. Um, yeah. Uh, design tool, it's super complex, really, really steep learning curve, uh, which I know because I've tried learning it, um, and I'm getting there very, very slowly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we come in and basically assist those tools, those existing tools, um, by augmenting the designers themselves um, as kind of an assistant to enable them to realize their vision sooner by allowing them to, from a single image, you throw it in, our AI comes up with a bunch of like generated models, which look similar to that image with a few variations. Uh, It's like a a parameterized model, uh, basically. So it has parameters. So you imagine a chair. um, If someone threw an image of a chair in, we can get our model to create 3D assets that look like that chair. And then... There are a bunch of different things which you can slide so ah, oh, well i don't like how that chair looks I, I want it to be taller so we have like the height slider and you just slide it and it increases the height so that just saves a lot of time for yeah. designers because our ai model is kind of uh, a complex mix of, of, of neural networks and procedural methods and all this sort of stuff merged together uh, basically to try and augment rather than replace i think that's that's one key thing which is very important to us is that we never want to be replacing human designers because human designers create the most interesting stuff like humans are the creative engine which makes anything interesting so we want to augment human designers to speed them up and we never want to replace them so if we can be a tool which augments them and augments their existing tools then that's that's really good for us
0: I was just going I was just going to ask about the tech <laughs> i 'm not from a tech background, so I have to kind of educate myself. What were those two things that you said? so you said neural networks and then there was something else what what are those
2: yeah uh, so we're using a combination of neural networks, so recently there's been lots of advances in in artificial intelligence and uh probably the most widely used uh thing when people say artificial intelligence is they mean neural networks, which is basically. A bunch of uh, kind of nodes which lead into each other, similar to the way that the brain works. So it's a bunch of uh, it's kind of it's all sorts of things which, from an input, they go through a bunch of different layers. All of which, all of the layers connect to each other in in unique ways, which can be trained. Um, and then the output is something which you can again train. So we kind of use that um, where you can look at an image and. It's kind of similar to how if you look at an image then you can predict what what's in that image there's, there's elements of that in there um and then the twist for us is there's also this stuff called procedural methods which is basically uh, rules for generation so um procedural things might be if you think about a tree you can kind of model a tree by saying ah oh, well if you have a trunk then you draw the trunk and then At some point along the trunk, you split the trunk into two branches, and then you keep doing that for some amount of time. And then when you reach an end condition, you draw leaves, and that's how you might generate a tree. So that's kind of a procedure for how you generate trees. So we're kind of joining uh, neural networks with procedural methods in order to produce something which takes advantage of both of them and also assists the designer in getting an output that's usable and, and useful for them
0: wow yeah sounds sounds really cool how did you like constantina how did you guys come up with this idea how's yeah it's just it just seems very like an amazing idea how did you come up with it
1: i think it was a lot of things that played a role in coming up with the idea i think the the main um, like in incentive was yeah our experience with 3d modeling but then uh, units in the university like Uh, artificial intelligence and then machine learning and then this year deep learning like gave us the push and gave us the understanding to make that leap you know to connect to things that we had expertise on and make something new
0: okay cool and you how did you find out this was actually a problem in the industry
1: so we started by by researching like desktop research and looking at numbers and um, like researching how much time designers uh, have to spend on 3D assets. And then we started talking to people. So, for example, we sent out surveys to every gaming company, active active gaming company in the UK, and asked them from their experience how much time uh, 3D asset creation was, uh, like, or what percentage of the whole Game production, three D asset creation was taking them, and uh, what what percent of their budget they were allocating for it, and questions like that to figure out if there really is a problem. And at the same time, we were asking questions like, um, "Have you spotted like any problem with your current pipeline? What would you change?" And then we we gathered all these ans- or all these answers, and we like boiled down some insights which proved that our our idea was that the problem that we had you know um discovered really exists
0: okay cool and then so you collected all the surveys you realize that yeah there was a problem here and we also know the technology to 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 you know implement so yeah what was the next sort of stage
2: yeah so we We after after getting those kind of surveys back, we went through more kind of research stage. So we talked to people in the industry, lots of interviews, again, confirming that uh, this indeed was a problem that was worth solving. Um, We had some ideas around around what we might want to build Um, from our kind of technological background. We knew that we wanted to do something with AI. So it was kind of searching for a problem and a use case that was painful enough. Uh, That would be worth solving and therefore seeing if we could apply AI to it. Um, After that, it was a it was kind of ideation where we looked at a lot of uh, current research papers or past research papers to see if um, if there was things that people had done before but maybe not uh, exploited to the, the biggest degree. And we found a few things like that, whereas kind of they'd done some research in this different area that we can then adapt and think we can use in this in this specific area. Um, and then building from there, we we basically looked at all of that and kind of distilled it down into, okay, we have a few different ways that we think we could build this. One of the first things we did was we built yeah. a very, very basic website, uh, which I think we threw together in about a day, uh, which is just a landing page, uh, which um, had, there was this function which uh, rendered the page and it has this like probability thing. So it was, uh, there's a 33% chance of getting any one of the individual page designs in each of those different page designs had a different, um, a different version of the idea. So I think we were. Testing whether or not designers wanted it to be um, an image input, uh, a word input, or like an existing three D model input, um, and from that, and also from our interviews and mm. uh, talking with Ardman, um, who at this stage we talked to and and they were interested in the idea, we decided that an image uh, image to three D model uh, solution would be the the most uh, valuable because that's what the feedback we were getting uh so we we set about building that basically so
0: Arvins are the company you guys are working with now right
2: yeah yeah so we're currently testing our uh first prototype with them um they uh, were interested in the idea we got in touch with them during our initial research stage um and they were looking for ways to kind of use some of their their material, their existing material, in new ways. They they're sitting, of course, because they have a uh, a long and and storied history of of creating things which people love. So they are sitting on an archive of of lots of pieces of data, but they're not sure yeah. exactly what they can do with it. So they were interested in in this project in part from a way of can they use this data for something that's useful in all the stuff they're doing now and we came in we're basically like yeah well we think that we have a way so uh let's work together um and yeah they're they're testing our prototype at the moment and
0: uh that sounds so cool yeah it's really exciting yeah it sounds really good that you actually got a really big company on board uh just what, what games do they make just just so people can know
2: so I think that they're only just getting started
0: in uh, video game production so
2: they're mainly based in, in okay. films and animation I think they have oh, they see. have produced okay. I think they have produced one game which um,
1: it's 11 11 yeah 1111 memories retold
2: yeah I think that's kind of a first world war based game it's kind of a story game yeah um, but that's like the first game that they've made and then they're, they're kind of exploring that area further and i think over time they're going to get more and more into it
0: ai artificial intelligence is a term that's thrown around so much like every every big company's talking about ai and blockchain as well but ai something that's thrown around so so much is it something that hasn't really been explored too much in this industry
2: yeah yeah well i have to reiterate uh, what you said actually about AI being thrown around a lot. I think a lot of companies, because it is yeah. very much a buzzword, it's kind of ah oh, well huge buzzword, we're yeah. going to claim that uh we're using AI for our systems when actually it's not core to what they're what they're offering is it's some kind of uh tiny aspect of analysis um on some tiny component of their system. Um but yeah they stick it in because it looks shiny and it gets them gets them investment. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think the difficulty with AI and using AI for solutions to these sorts of problems is that the skill set is is very difficult and very rare to have in in one person. So you would either probably be an artist and a designer, or you'd be a machine learning engineer. So these two skill sets uh, don't necessarily come together that often, and so. That might explain why uh, people haven't necessarily explored this area too too thoroughly yet, um, which I guess is is kind of interesting interesting to us in the sense that we do have this skill set. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that's prob- probably primarily the main reason. It's kind of it's difficult to difficult to bridge that gap if you have if you have one area of knowledge, but you don't have the other one um which i, I guess think
1: is... that also big companies uh that do like gaming and stuff like that are so focused with their games productions and with their deadlines and like no one has the time to think you know uh new innovations and like and if they even have an idea they, they like the work they have to do like makes them forget about it and that's that's where the power of a startup yeah. is and um because we have we have like zero risk to try this and like either it's going to get us somewhere or it it won't but like big big companies cannot like risk that they can't risk like a lot of resources going into something they're not sure about or their yeah. company is not ready to you know
2: yeah so we kind of we kind of absorb the the technical risk of creating things um, and, you know, if these companies yeah. don't want the risk of producing a game which may not sell 10 million copies or something, they definitely don't want to invest in this risky technology development. So yeah. they're quite happy to let other people do it and then they'll just buy, exactly. buy the product at the outcome.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. Because you said, you know, it takes massive amount of resources to make a game, uh, especially, the, you know, the consumer demands nowadays. They don't want to spend resources on technologies that might not work. Well, I mean, it's, it's risk, it's R&D, as you said. So, but I mean, obviously, yeah, it's risky for you guys, but obviously the university, your university believes in you because they, you know, congratulations are in order because they just gave you a lot of money, didn't they?
2: <laughs> yes, yes, that's very true, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so for anyone who doesn't know, although I think it's been blasted from the rooftops <laughs> of the university, uh, like, a lot over the past few days. So we, KDM has won the new enterprise competition, um, growth stage. So there are actually three stages uh, to this. There's the idea stage, the development stage, and then the growth stage. Um, and we we've got we've had money from each of the each of the stages before, but we've just won the kind of the overall prize, which we didn't know this or didn't really consider this before. But apparently, it's quite rare for uh, an undergrad team to win the win the overall thing. So I guess that it's a it's a it's a good vote of confidence for us that tells us that we're doing something which is actually valuable and people think that it's valuable which is uh which is very very kind of affirming yeah i think a lot of universities are are starting to see the value in in kind of student entrepreneurship where previously it that was much more kind of focused on, on america you see like stanford yeah. silicon valley and all of these sorts of universities where they kind of deeply deeply embedded in the whole kind of startup ecosystem. But I think definitely over the past, over the past couple of years, um, the Southwest of England has become a lot better for kind of startup ecosystem. Where I think, I can't remember who we were talking to, but they they said that um, even if, if you look at like, say five years ago, and the amount of people recruited into startups in the Southwest, Um over a whole year, five years ago, the same number of people that were recruited in that period were recruited in like the first uh, the first three months of this year. So it's really, really rapidly growing, wow. um, which I guess kind of I guess links in with our degree because me, myself, and Constantina are both on the the new like X with and with innovation. Um, so we're both computer science with innovation, which we are in the the first year to ever do that degree so we're going to be gradu- graduating in july into this this wonderful time um <laughs> but the the beginning of that degree i think is kind of fee as has fed from the growth into the startup ecosystem in the southwest and in turn will feed into it again it's kind of a um a beneficial circle of
0: stuff yeah, feeding into yeah. each other how much did you guys win just out of interest
1: we, we won uh, 10 grand uh, plus, plus a Z Squared membership for one year, uh, which is amazing because SetSquared uh, Squared provides so many services for the startups that are members and so much support. So we're, we're overjoyed yeah. <laughs> to have won such an amazing prize.
0: So where will that money and support take you? Like, where do you kind of see the future of, of KDIM? Because this is a technology that seems like it's a long time coming,
2: yeah, so uh the money will be primarily spent on on all of the stuff to protect our i p that we've made over the past uh, couple of months um so thinking about trademarks, patents for the kind of technology process these sorts of things kind of lay down the lay down the fundamentals of the value of the company um as we go into uh, further investment seeking further investment so Um, We're hoping to get a bunch of uh, pre-seed investment to help us develop our technology further uh, into something which we can start selling uh, to companies. Um, Hopefully sometime in the next few months, get that in, at which point we'll be able to build out the team, um, develop the technology uh, further and, and, and basically capitalize on on an opportunity that we see, which we think is only going to be growing and growing, the more that people uh, use games and kind of online digital 3D interactive experiences to connect with
0: one yeah, another. Yeah, for sure. Where do you kind of, just out of interest, because you guys are obviously researching this at all times, would this, because, you know, 3D uh, assets, as you said, they encompass all gaming, and I guess something like virtual reality that would encompass that as well wouldn't it virtual reality gaming yeah yeah Um, yeah
1: yeah I was uh, we were just having a a discussion with um, a 3D artist and we were talking about how uh, the VR and AR have been promising like a lot of stuff during the last decade but they haven't yet we haven't yet like seen these promises mature and like yeah become part of our life you know what i mean um but i think they'll there there is definitely something coming from that way from yeah that direction and actually we we know a company in bristol who who does that kind of thing they're called condensed reality but yeah uh in games um i think that will slowly come in and then and then 3d assets will need to be even more polished and even more of greater you know um yeah resolution and stuff like that because people will will be able to look around and you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> go closer yeah
0: why do you think why do you think that hasn't actually happened yet is it because do you think it is because the technology is the limiting factor where you know they have to spend masses amount of resources on something they might not get the return back but if your technology comes in makes the whole process cheaper that they can put those you know games out experiment with them so people understand the, you know, if they like them or not, basically, if the market likes it.
2: Again, yeah, I think it's, it's kind of VR has hit a perfect storm of um, for the makers of VR experiences, the costs of producing yeah. those experiences is very, very high uh, because of all of the other trends in the industry. And effectively, VR games at the moment are incredibly risky. And because these companies don't want to take too many risks... They don't want to put all these time and effort into making these games. And on the flip side, on the consumer side, again, the technology to uh, participate in these experiences is still incredibly expensive. I mean, I watched a a video earlier today comparing the, I think it's the Valve Index VR set with another slightly less expensive one. Um, And I think a lot of people, they're kind of, it's still very expensive. I mean, the Valve Index is like nine, it's like basically a thousand dollars, which is prohibitively expensive for most people. Um, but at the same time, they are uncertain about wanting to buy a, a lesser, uh, a lesser headset, VR headset, because they're they're worried about, oh, well, is it going to be as as high fidelity quality as as these other things? So they're kind of waiting and waiting mm. to see. So it's, it's kind of yeah, it's 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 a combination of Risks because of costs on the on the development front and risks because of costs on yeah. the consumer front, um, but we think that definitely with our technology developing further, if we can bring that cost down for producing these assets uh, to the degree which is needed for these VR experiences, then hopefully we can in some way play a part in driving driving the growth yeah. of that sector because if it does take off, then I'm sure it'd be really, really exciting.
0: Yeah, it's really cool. I've been to one of those like VR gaming experiences, and it was a lot of fun. And I think, as a consumer of gaming, I'd love for you know these game companies to take more risks. I think that's when you know that's when the magic happens. That's when you get really cool games come out of these companies when you know they are allowed to take those risks.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of experimentation going on with indie uh, indie developers at the moment. Um, in part because they're using production methods which can reduce the costs and time needed for the development. I mean, you see a lot of indie developers go with kind of a low poly style where um, it's definitely not the, the photorealistic that would be, well, maybe not required, but expected of a,
0: of a AAA game. What is what is low poly, sorry. What is what is low poly style?
1: <laughs> like a Minecraft, which is like oh, I see. all cubes and okay. it's not like complicated with details, not complicated, safe. yeah, just yeah,
0: yeah. like
1: low polygon. It's a sort for low polygon.
0: Oh, okay, I understand. Yeah, so it's
2: like highly stylized, highly stylized, much, much quicker to produce because there's not as much detail. Um but yeah, not necessarily not necessarily used in AAA a because again it's kind of consumer expectations about what a triple a game has to look like are are very much not in that area so that's it's a difficulty because even if indie developers are using this kind of style for their games triple a developers can't really use it because the consumers have different expectations about what an indie game is allowed to look like versus what a triple a game is allowed. Mm, yeah to look like. for
0: sure final question from me before we wrap up how big uh, you know, I'd love an answer for both of you, actually. How big do you see KDEM getting? Yeah, so I think personally, my I, my
2: optimistic expectations, which I think are are nonetheless doable and, and reasonable, is that, so, I mean, starting off, you look at the... Uh, just the individual 3d modeling market. I mean, I think at the moment it's about 3.6 billion dollars, which is growing at 11% per year, so in 10 years time that'll be about 10 billion dollars. I think our technology could be used in a lot more than just that specific industry. So if you think not just in games, but in architecture, in furniture design, in interior modeling, all of these different experiences, I think you can potentially 10x that or or more and I know that we both have a lot of ideas about different areas that we can expand into improving our product further. So, I mean, optimistic expectations would be that we can grow this into something that's very, very large and and be kind of the company which you associate with if you want to get something creative done. If you want to realize your creative vision, you go to KDIM. Yeah. Um, that, that's my yeah, hope. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah, Argentina. I think
1: we're... We're aligned in this one, me and Roman. Um, yeah, Our vision is um, a world where you know, anyone can realize their creative vision. Um, so yeah, we're starting with games because we, we know there's a problem here that needs to be solving, but we, we want to expand. And yeah, um, yeah and just uh, have all the creative um, industry um, and helping them
0: sounds great how can uh you know i lo- i love what you guys are doing because you know as a consumer i didn't know any but i didn't know about this stuff but it definitely makes sense because you know you know resources are definitely the limiting factor and i guess that's why you know they're not coming out with as many games as frequently as they used to in the golden sort of ps2 era that was probably the best era for me <laughs> how can people kind of uh yeah. you know keep in touch with you guys uh yeah, how can people see what you're up to and track the progress? So, we've got uh, LinkedIn.
2: We're quite heavily active on LinkedIn. So, you can find us there at KDIM, K A E D I M. Um, we're also on Twitter, uh, KDIM underscore, at KDIM underscore. Um, you can find us on both of the, those places we post. Uh, you can visit our website, com, And on that website, you'll find an email sign up. So, if you want to give us your email, you can sign up to our email list, and occasionally we post updates on what we're up to, if there's any uh, specific stuff um, that that we're doing that we think people might find interesting. Um, and very, very shortly, uh, we're actually going to be coming out with our own podcast. We're not sure what it's going to be called yet, we're still kind of figuring that stuff out, but uh, we have three recordings with people who've worked in creative industries and um, we want to kind of explore how creative people are thinking about how their industries are going to be oh, changing cool. in the future um, so if you keep an eye out on our podcast on our uh, linkedin and twitter and email list and all that sort of stuff uh, you should find all of our updates sounds somewhere. great
0: i'll pull those links in the description
1: yeah and if uh, someone that's listening is just uh, curious about what we do and want to get in touch you can always drop us an email uh, at admin at kaidim.com um yeah we we always love uh getting getting emails from people interested in what we do
0: okay great roman Constantina, it's been a pleasure thank you so much for joining me thank you thank you sina it's been a pleasure Thanks for listening to this episode of the Melanin Entrepreneur. It was a real pleasure recording with Constantina and Roman about KDIM, and it's a technology that I really feel is going to revolutionize the gaming industry. If you did enjoy, please be sure to leave a five star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts, it really does help me out. Uh, follow us on your Instagram page, the link's in the description. And yeah, share it with your friends if you want. My name's Mancina, I'll see you in the next episode.